Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, kind of somber start for this episode, Sid. We normally try to go real high energy, you know, put a little pep in the ep episode. Oh, that was a good twist on that, honey. Thanks, just a little twist. Yeah, did you just come up with that? Just right this second. Well, uh, if you've been paying attention to the news lately, you may have heard the, the sad news that Luke Perry passed away. Um, if you are uh, a person of about my age, you probably remember him best from Beverly Hills 90210. I was a big fan of that back in the day. I had the doll. I had all the dolls. I had his dolls. doll and all the dolls. Do you remember? My Barbies th- preferred to date my Luke Perry doll and my uh, bad boy and my Jason Priestley doll. Did you of remember Ken. that he was Pike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, and he, uh, and he has been most recently on Riverdale. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, but sadly, he passed away from a stroke. And uh, we thought this, well, for one, it's, it was odd that we'd never covered strokes before because mm-hmm. it's a major, it's a major thing. I mean, it's a, it's a, unfortunately, very common uh, health concern. It's the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. And uh, it is also something that if you know more about, uh, one, you can prevent strokes if you know what risk factors to work on to modify, what to, what to do. You can help prevent strokes, maybe. You can't, can not completely prevent them, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, you can modify your risk factors so that you won't have a stroke. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are things you can do. One example, quit, quit smoking if you're smoking. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to help avoid a stroke. Um, obviously, I don't mean they're all 100% preventable. Um, sure. I was going to give this stat later, but about 80% probably are preventable. Wow. So, uh, so there are things you can do. So that's number one. And two, recognizing the signs and symptoms of a stroke quickly is very, very important. And I'll get into why towards the end as we talk about like the treatment and the management and what we do about a stroke. But knowing more about it so that... If you or a family member or a friend is experiencing signs or symptoms of a stroke and you can recognize that quickly and get help immediately, your outcomes are way better. Okay. So, so it's a really worthwhile thing to talk about uh, for multiple reasons. First of all, do you know what a stroke is, Justin? Okay. So I was just sitting here thinking about that because you always ask me that. But mm-hmm. I think I have it confused with an aneurysm, so I need some help. Well, that's okay because there, there's a relationship between those two 
problems. So that's not, you're not totally off base. A stroke, though, is like an interruption of blood flow to the brain. I saw in several articles they referred to a stroke as a brain attack in the same way. Well, to liken it to a heart attack. Okay. So a heart attack is when you have, for some reason, lack of blood flow to part of the heart muscle. Okay. Lack of blood flow to part of your brain. Okay. Got it. It's a stroke. Uh, We also call it a cerebrovascular accident or CVA. You'll see it abbreviated that way a lot. And then you can kind of divide that up into ischemic or hemorrhagic. And what that means is either there was some sort of blockage so the blood couldn't get through. Mm Kind of like uh, you would have in the heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you could have a plaque, like stuff build up in the lining of an artery, and then it can get disrupted and block off the artery. Or you can have a clot thrown from somewhere else in the body. A clot forms like in the heart. There's some conditions where clots can form in the heart, and then they break off and can go to blood vessels in the brain. Um, Those would be examples of, of ischemic strokes or lack of blood flow strokes. And then there are hemorrhagic strokes, which means you have a bleed in the brain. And that would be related to an aneurysm. If an aneurysm, which is a dilation of a blood vessel, a place where it's dilated Uh and it's weaker as a result, if that ruptures, then you could have a bleed. There are other reasons you can have bleeds in the brain, but that that is one example. Um, Because you don't get blood flow to the brain where there is no blood flow, there is no oxygen, and cells die. Right. And you get damage to that part of the brain. What happens as a result of a stroke depends on where the stroke occurs, what area of the brain, how far down the path of the artery it is, meaning that it's, you know, less blood flow, less area that's receiving blood flow, or how close it is to like the kind of the root, so to speak, of the artery. So how much of the brain is affected. Um, all of that will depend on what you what you see in someone who's having a stroke. So Yeah, it's always been interesting to me that uh and I think part of what makes them confusing to the layman like myself is that you people seem to be affected so differently by them. Like you see some people who are obviously pass away as a result. Some people who have a, a big loss of, of motor function. Like I remember Dick Clark mm-hmm. was, it was years before he was able to return to New Year's Rock and Eve and it was still very difficult for him to speak. And some people who do okay like don't it don't seem to be affected so Mm -hmm. much or even have some effects and then they actually completely resolve over time Mm -hmm. we can see that um generally speaking a stroke on the left part of the brain will cause problems on the right side of the body right side of the brain left side of the body generally speaking that's just the way the circulation works um you can get symptoms like weakness. That's a thing a lot of people talk about, weakness on one side of the body, you know, like your arm or leg or both. one or the other both can be weak. You can be numb. You can have dizziness. You can have difficulty speaking. Um, you can see the facial droop is a very classic sign of a stroke. So like one right. side of the mouth, one corner of the mouth will turn down. Um, and then there can be some less typical symptoms like confusion or hallucinations or nausea and vomiting or passing wow. out, even hiccups. Really? Mm-hmm. So there can be some unusual symptoms. That's of terrifying. Too. Why would you include hiccups? That's miserable of you. Well, How could you do that? Because if you're having hiccups in conjunction with other odd signs or symptoms, it, okay. it would, you, you almost certainly would not have isolated hiccups. Fair. Okay. I'm not going to say it's impossible. You said almost certainly, oh, you're the pits. How could you do this? <laughs> I would not worry every time you have hiccups. I would worry if you're having a facial droop and hiccups. Okay. Uh, the long-term outcomes from the stroke based on, are based on, again, where the stroke occurs and the extent of, 
of brain tissue that is damaged as a result. Sometimes the effects improve greatly with time. Sometimes they don't. And part of that we can predict based on where the stroke happened, based on like the pictures we take of your brain and look at the effects. Uh, Part of that just takes time to figure out. Now, as you may have guessed, we've known about strokes since ancient times um, because they've been happening since then. So Hippocrates first recognized a stroke over uh, 2,400 years ago. And back then we would call a stroke apoplexy. And actually through most of medical history, apoplexy is what you would see written in a text. So if you see that somewhere in an old medical text, they're probably talking about a stroke. I have a feeling that that name is more uh, scientifically accurate. That fair. Uh, well, I mean, it in the it comes from the Greek for struck down by violence. So, oh, well, it is a, uh, a bit of a flight of fancy then. <laughs> not necessarily, um, but it does. It was because it, it happened so suddenly, and the person almost seemed to have been a victim of some sort of violent act, even though obviously they they weren't. Um, Hippocrates did not know that it was happening in the brain you wouldn't have known at this time how everything you know the nervous system was still a mystery to us so so he didn't know that he thought it had something to do with a stagnation of the blood whereby all the motion and action of the spirits is taken away so your blood stopped your blood stopped your blood stopped and so and that uh and it could have been stopped by sharp humors Ah, I thought the, the humors would get mixed up in here. Yeah, the, definitely the, the original concept of stroke was a variety of different humoral, humor medicine, humoral medicine-based uh, theories. And uh, cold humors maybe, like, slowed everything down until it stopped, which is why you can't move half your body, that kind of thing. Obviously. Uh, Galen also kind of, and often did, build on the theories of Hippocrates, kind of accepting that a lot of it is true. Now, he did say, though, that he thought apoplexy could be caused by if anything that would interfere with the flow of what he referred to as vital spirits to the brain. So that is that does at least involve the brain. Right. Um, yeah, he's in the right, uh, the, the right hemisphere, as it were, the right, <laughs> the right uh, uh, third of he's the body. He's on the top of the body. Top of the body. <laughs> Uh, you don't see the word stroke enter the medical lexicon until 1599. And there was a treatment protocol. That was actually the, the place where it was first written. It was a doctor writing about a certain treatment that was recommended for stroke, which, by the way, was cinnamon water, in case you're interested. Ugh. Which is not a not treatment. Not helpful. Not, uh, right. It's nothing. Stroke. Yeah, that's not. I, Except I was, I was hor- about to say a treatment for stroke, but it's not a treatment. No, it's halfway period. to horchata, I guess. <laughs> uh but he said that it was uh, a prescription for, quote, the stroke of God's hand. Oh, like you've been, sh- well, to use a different tense, like struck down? Yes. My God? That is exactly where the word stroke comes from, the concept that you've been struck. As if by some sort of supernatural or religious or higher power being God, goddess, something, some force has struck you, Uh well, and I, that is why you, know, you can certainly you have the symptoms. You can certainly see, like in Luke Perry's case, for example, like and of course I don't know anything about his his health or what have you, but it certainly seem to come out of absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. And when they do, strokes can often often seem to come out of nowhere. Now I, it's one of those things. And where, younger too, and like a younger mm-hmm. person. Uh, that's a common myth, myth that it only happens in older people. 
Um, depending on, especially with various risk factors, they can obviously they can happen in younger people, uh, but they but they can often seem to come out of nowhere. Now, again, I'm going to give you a lot of things that you can do to empower you to tell you how you might right. So don't freak out. Look into the future and see it coming, so you don't feel like you're struck by a higher a higher power. Um, this also reflected this idea that uh, a lot of people started to have that a stroke was some sort of divine act punishment like a final judgment and this idea that uh a person who had a stroke was somehow responsible for it or you you saw it coming like that that concept was very popular among lay people and and a lot of physicians for a long time that um there was even the idea of an apoplectic habitus meaning a certain type of like body appearance that made one likely to have strokes. Make God want to, you know, you can understand it though. Like that's human nature to want to ascribe patterns to something that terrible that seems random. Nobody wants to think that it's like, you want to think that there's some reason it happened, right? Sure. Like, oh, he was a, he was a, a douchebag. <laughs> so that's where, that's where it all went wrong. But, that's just our nature and they blamed it on things that i mean the stroke is not unique in this way a lot of stuff would get blamed on behaviors that were kind of frowned upon at different times in society anyway yeah so uh so stroke was seen as like a both a physical and a moral judgment so if you live too luxurious a lifestyle Mm -hmm. a stroke could be the, the your final judgment and they would point to things like someone who was overweight mm. and and they would say well obviously you overindulge and so there you go i am not saying that this is true of overweight people but this was the concept right at the time and so so that is why you have had a stroke is because you're being punished for this you know lux lifestyle that that you lead um they would also point to other things though like not not just something that is that clearly connected like i think that you have a lot of money and so you must have more food than me and so you weigh more than me it was also specifically people who had a short neck a large head <laughs> a flat chest pale <coughs> pale skin and then a hitch in your breathing a hitch in your breathing a hitch in your breathing and that these are people who are more likely to have strokes uh and so that's not necessarily i think is clearly connected to luxury no it just seems like people that, that get on god's nerves like <laughs> For some reason, God's really irritated by people. Like, if, for me, it's people who chew with their mouths open. For God, it's <laughs> these people with short necks. Why did I even make them? Man. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> Honey, I hope that God is not annoyed with people with large heads because... Go on. The McElroy family. Go on. You all have very large heads. You know where I'm going. I'm not going to... Mm. I wasn't... Mm. There was no nuance here. Ooh, you have given our children. Deepest. You've ah. passed. You've passed down this gene for large heads to our large-headed daughters. A two Sydney. <laughs> They're beautiful, perfect heads, but they are large. Uh, some of this was related to the idea that if you had a big head, you need more blood up there. So That's it made true. sense that you're more prone to having a shortage of blood up there because your you need needs so all the much. Blood. Right, of course. And so it was just hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, in the, by the 1600s, we had some concept of like circulation, like that blood circulated in the body, that it wasn't just like constantly generating and then disappearing and sitting in our head and all that. Um, and, uh, Jacob Wepfer found that patients, that some of his patients who he was examining, who had apoplexy had bleeding in the brain. So he actually was doing dissections and found that there was bleeding 
and connected these two ideas. Um, he also found that there were patients that had blockages. So he could actually open up the arteries and see that they were clotted off or blocked off or whatever and connect this to what we called apoplexy or stroke at the time. Um, I don't want to. I'm sorry. Can I sidebar you for a second? Yeah. What year did you say that we discovered about like regenerating blood? Like, the 1600s. In the 1600s. Uh-huh. It's wild to think about. There were 1600, you know, you take for granted this stuff, especially with doing the show as much as we have. But like, there were 1600 years more. I mean, like 1600 years at, at Domini, but like, and that before, thousands of years in human history, where when someone would get cut really bad and blood would start coming out of the wound, they would look at the blood and be like, oh man, oh no, I need that. <laughs> oh no what am i gonna do that would talk about it forever if my dad got cut deeply in the in the like 1500s and lost like a little bit of blood he would be talking about it 10 years later my like, arm still doesn't have enough blood i'd love to help you move but half the arms out half the blood's out my dang arm <laughs> can't help well and it's interesting because you always like to find that note that we figured out that the blood circulated in the 1600s, but we continued to use bleeding a person as a treatment for many things with the idea that like, well, there's too much blood here. We need to let some out Mm -hmm. knowing that it circulated by then. So even after the idea had sort of permeated as like, well, we think that's true. We're going to ignore that. It's true as we continue to do this treatment that does not work. Let us put it to you this way. We bought leeches in bulk. (laughs) <laughs> and we're okay. That's 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 the long and short of it. And and that's the interesting thing is that he he still recommended even with all this. He said like, well, I saw that there was some bleeding in this one brain, and this person had a stroke, and so it must have been too much blood. So I think the next time somebody has a stroke, you should bleed them. Oh, gosh. So some next time somebody is bleeding in the brain, you should bleed their arm. There you go. He also did. He thought that the blockages. Uh, the reason that those cause strokes is that they blocked animal spirits. And he's but and it blocked animal <laughs> spirits. I thought you'd Got enjoy that. Our um, in some cases, again, he blamed it on fle- phlegm. It was phlegmatic. It was a cold humor mm-hmm. that blocked off the blood. Um, and in those cases, he did say, don't bleed the patient because then they'll die. Well, there's that at least. Uh-huh. Positive. Um, and this distinction between different kinds of strokes that they started to make at this point in the 1600s started to lead to different var- like variations in what the treatment would be. Instead of everybody comes in with a stroke and you bleed them, well, no, this person doesn't need to be bled. Um, this person needs some sort of like a very common thought was that if it's a blockage stroke, it was probably caused by eating a large meal that you didn't digest all the way. Mm. And so some of the Got treatments. A chunk, of, a chunk of roast beast up there blocking the thing. <laughs> blood tubes (laughs) so the the treatment would be these are quotes a proper stimulating vomit a proper not so (laughs) on these wimpy vomits get a real tough guy vomit going a warm cordial purge okay perfect or if you prefer the other end a stimulating enema should be thrown up the rectum i love that they throw them up there they always say that throw them up there i mean they don't throw them but i love they say you throw Throw them up up the rectum like a like a grandma tossing her Christmas ornaments into the attic, just toss them, <laughs> throw them up the rectum, throw them up the rectum. How did we get better at strokes, Sid? Not quite yet, but before I tell you more about how bad we were, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines, the 
We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So uh, I, I understood we were about to still be bad at strokes. Is that correct? We're moving forward. The, this connection between diet and stroke, the idea that um, you could somehow, because I, it, we still didn't have great treatments for stroke. So there was a lot of focus on, we. these seem to come out of nowhere. We have no idea why. A lot of the um, lay community was still seeing it as like some sort of magical, supernatural, divine event. Uh, physicians did not feel that way, but they didn't have any better ideas. So I, I just like this one specific, here, here are some things to avoid. A diet of high-seasoned meats, poignant sauces. Poignant sauces? Poignant sauces. I love that. It's like reading Zagat's. And plenty of rich wines. 
the finest wines known to humanity, you the might finest say. Finest wines known to humanity. <laughs> Uh, and that if you if you eat that way, that it, they will heighten the contractions of the vital organs, inflame the blood, fire the passions, and render the nerves extremely elastic. And when the nerves of the vital organs are wound up to the highest stretch they can bear, then the le- least higher impulse from either a sudden change or setting into a thorough debauch, a thorough debauch, may crank those noble springs of life, extremely disconcert their action, and put an everlasting stop to all their motions. None of this is accurate, but man, no, but it, it sounds it's good. beautiful, isn't it? A thorough debauch a is thorough so debauch. Good. That's an album title waiting to happen. Next time when you're about to send out your wedding invites, just say it'll be a thorough a thorough debauch. Can you see that? Here's I wish our wedding invites had said, please join us for a diet of high season meats, poignant sauces, plenty of rich wines, followed by a thorough debauch. You're welcome. You're welcome. By the way, for whoever I know somebody's stealing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> uh so they thought a temperate life was the way to go. So they would tell people, don't eat rich foods, don't have sex, don't get too excited, watch your physical exertion, uh, don't smoke, um, violent passions of the mind, cold weather, tight clothing around the neck, constipation, and everything in the least bit flatulent should be avoided. <laughs> Things really turned around for us <coughs> in the late 1800s with the development of the sphygmomanometer. Yes, that is the blood pressure cuff. Very good, Justin. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we could begin to measure blood pressure, which was a big deal, because we'd always had this concept of like high blood, but we didn't really know what that meant. And so we could diagnose hypertension, and then we started to notice an association between hypertension and strokes, that a lot of patients who had strokes had high blood pressure. And this fit with this kind of already idea that you have too much blood or too much impulse or excitement. That wasn't quite correct, but they liked that. That was embraced because it seemed to fit that yeah. that concept. Um, the treatment was still just to bleed the patient and relieve the pressure, but at least we were on the right track. There were a lot more dissections being performed in the 18 and 1900s, and that also helped with the concept of what, what caused a stroke uh, because then they started to see what what we now know was cerebrovascular disease, so plaque building up in the arteries in the brain, you know, blockages in the arteries in the brain, just like we saw in the heart, cardiovascular disease, same idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw this in the brain, and that uh, that term... Uh, CVD, cerebrovascular disease, started to be used. So we knew that this was this was the kind of condition that led to a lot of strokes. Not all strokes, but we knew that this was responsible for a lot of strokes. Uh, in the in the late 1800s, surgeons began actually not in the late 1800s, in the early 1800s, surgeons began performing a surgery on the carotid arteries to try to clean out a lot of the blockages that they thought were responsible for strokes, which are, I should say, responsible hmm. for for some strokes. Uh, they thought that there were like plaques and clots and things building up and that they're the major arteries in your neck that supply blood to your brain. Mm. And uh, so they started doing something that uh, was called a carotid endarterectomy where they kind of went in and scraped out and cleaned out those blood vessels to try to prevent strokes. Um, but we still didn't have a lot of treatments on the back end once strokes occurred. It was actually, by the way, 1935 before bloodletting was formally removed as a treatment for strokes. Sheesh. 1935. That was when it was taken out of like the manuals as a treatment for strokes. Wild. Uh, I don't know how many people were still doing it at that point, but but it was still in the books. Wow. (laughs) Um, In the 1900s, we we really started to focus on the causes of strokes, the treatment, what can we do? 
because people still felt pretty helpless. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had some ideas. High blood pressure seemed to be connected. Um, that smoking, people were still kind of putting that together, even though nobody knew why. It was more of a one of those like moral things before, like oh, don't right. don't live a wild life of smoking and drinking and dancing with the ladies. But some you. of those things were actually accurate. Right. <laughs> um. In, uh, in 1928, apoplexy was formally divided into the categories uh, that we kind of already alluded to, the ischemic stroke and the hemorrhagic stroke, and they started to figure out like what could cause one and the other, and uh, we started calling things CVAs or cerebrovascular accidents at this point um, instead accidents of apoplexy. Not, accidents, I feel like, is not a word that you all use a lot. Accident, you know, we I mean? say not, CVA all the time, though. It's wild, though. Like, you don't say accident, it's just, it just doesn't seem like a very medical, medical term, right? I can see that. Well, so. but it sounds better than apoplexy and it sounds better than stroke. Yeah, but it's weird because if it's medical, it's not an accident, is it? I mean, it's like it's an inaccurate term, I think, is what bothers me because it didn't happen by accident, it happened because of the specific conditions well, in the body that created that situation uh, your brain didn't mean to lose blood flow and yeah but like that's like saying like that's like saying tooting is like a gas accident because your body didn't mean to make toots like well no you just that's how it works that's what happens well but that's okay you're also talking about physiology versus pathology okay I'm making a still it is I can I, I get that it's a weird point it's it, it is a weird name and I I saw that term used in a lot of even like medical journals brain attack to like get people to call it that instead of stroke Brain or CBA. Attack is another great that's two great album titles from this episode <laughs> alone, y'all. Uh throughout the nineteen hundreds we developed angiography, so where we can kind of inject dye into a system of blood vessels and then look at them, you know, using radiology equipment and we can look at all the blood vessels and see where the blockages are. Okay. And that was a huge advancement in stroke. Because once you then you can actually see that a stroke has occurred. Um, that's available through like CT angiogram. So a, a CT machine, a CAT scan machine with mm-hmm. angiography, or you can do it with an MRI. Now we do this as well. Um, and then things like blood thinners became part sure. of the equation too, because we, we figured out that clots were responsible for some of these. And then finally, um, in 1996, what a lot of people refer to as the clot buster. Have you heard of that before? I've heard you say it. Yeah. Clot buster. So this is TPA tissue plasminogen activator. Uh, it's a medication that breaks up blood clots, and uh, it was a big breakthrough for the treatment of strokes um, because, again, up to this point, we didn't have a ton of stuff to do on the back end. We're, we we had some ideas about how to prevent them, but how to treat them, we still were kind of clueless. TPA was a big advancement, but TPA is not used in all cases of stroke. In, in fact, I don't see it used very often in my clinical experience, because you have to get there pretty quickly for the benefits of it to outweigh the risk. Hmm. Um, in a lot of cases, if you're not there within four hours of where the, of when the symptoms began, you're outside the window. You're not even a candidate for TPA. And it's just because of the risk. It's not like a mean thing. It's just they're very specific. So when you administer TPA, you risk that it's going to break up a bunch of clots and cause a bunch of bleeding. Uh, and bleeding okay. is bad in the right. brain, uh, which you could guess. Bleeding is very bad. Uh, so you're going to take that risk, so you want to make sure that the benefits are all there. And in a lot of patients, the risks far away, the benefits, you can't use it. So it is a good advancement, and it, and it has saved a lot of probably lives and function, but it's not for everybody. Sure. 
There's also what we call thrombectomy, where you can go in and remove the clot, like actually mechanically remove it, which again, as you can imagine, is a high-risk procedure. You have to have special uh, specialists of specialists to do this. Um, and so you got to be at a stroke center where they can perform this. But it is, it is again, can be life-saving and function-saving, you know, mm-hmm. quality of life-saving um, if it is the right patient in the right place at the right time. But all of this, again depends on being at the hospital quickly, which is why one of the best things you can do is know the signs and symptoms of a stroke so that if they're occurring, you can get somebody hopefully to a stroke center as fast as possible, but at the very least to a hospital as fast Mm -hmm. as possible. Um, So what are those signs and symptoms? Fast is the easiest thing to remember. Do you know what that stands for? I may... I was going to tell you fast because I knew fast. Well, you tell me fast then. Facial drooping. Mm -hmm. So look for the person's face to be asymmetrical, like the corner of their mouth drooping. Acting weird. No. Alarming. 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 Arm numbness. No. Well, I mean, that would be concerning. I'm just going to confuse people. Just tell people what it is. Have them hold their arms up. Okay. Can they not, like, does one drift or drop? Okay, so what's that? Just arm? Arm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so facial Did drooping. you really not arm. know? Facial drooping, arm. What's the S? You got the next one? Come on. Wait. Stroke. Justin. Facial drooping, arm. Speech. Speech. Is right, their speech right, right. slurred? Ask them to talk to you. And T is talking. Time. Time. To remind you that... I mean, it's it's just like, you know, with heart attacks, they always say time is muscle. Everybody always remembers that, right? right. Time is muscle. Time is muscle. You got to get them in there because the longer you wait, the more muscle they're losing. It's the same idea with the stroke. The longer the, those brain cells are deprived of blood flow or deprived of blood flow and therefore, therefore oxygen, the more damage that's being done. So the faster you get somebody to the hospital, the better, the better and mm-hmm. the more function they have the chance to regain. So the big thing is, as soon as you recognize any of these signs or symptoms in yourself or somebody else, Get thee to a hospital. Um, and again, you can have, those are like the big things to look for, but that you can have other kind of strange symptoms, uh, particularly in women. Women, just like with heart attacks, can present differently. Women with strokes are likely to present a little differently. So if somebody just passes out out of the blue or uh, becomes violently ill out of nowhere and is confused and and maybe like, hallucinating anything like that anything out of the normal out of the norm like that it's best to go get checked out as quickly as possible and to know when the symptoms started keeping track of that exact time if you see somebody and you think they're having a stroke look at the clock as you call 911 don't hesitate from calling 911 but look at the clock while you're doing it so that you can tell that EMT the symptoms started at this time because the doctor at the stroke center needs to know that exact time is that um, what the T stands for, maybe? Time. That's what I said. Like, check the time? Like, remind you to Oh, maybe do that. it is. Maybe? I guess it could go either yeah, way. Yeah, I bet I you're mean, right. It does stand Time's important, okay. okay? In all fairness, like, I don't really use the fast thing a lot. You're just like a doctor. You just, <laughs> like, doctor it. just, like, look and go, oh, you're having a stroke. Call 911. But, like, let's go yeah, over. actually, time. Note the time. Um, let's go over it. Let's go over it again. Can we go over it again? Because I was interrupting face. a lot. Facial drooping. Uh-huh. Face, face Look drooping. at their face. Do you see asymmetry? Or okay. They're drooping. 
arm, have them hold their arms up? Can they not lift one arm? Is one arm drifting? Is one more arm drooping? It, does it appear there's weakness in an arm? Speech, ask them to talk to you. Does it sound slurred? And time, note the time. What time is it that these symptoms started? And then move quickly, call 911, and then convey that time to, to the EMT. Um, and, and yeah, call 911. Don't, I mean, don't drive them. Certainly don't drive yourself. <laughs> no. What? No. no. Well, you, hey, listen. I'm sure stranger things have happened. Um, and some things you can do outside of recognizing the signs and symptoms and getting somebody to the hospital as fast as possible so they have every opportunity for treatment that is available to them, which, again, depends on your medical conditions and your history and your background and all that. So it's not that clear cut, but get them to the hospital. As I said, 80% of strokes can be preventable, so there is a lot you can do. Um, stuff that we know, as I mentioned, smoking is a big risk factor for stroke. You shouldn't smoke. It's bad for you. Um, you shouldn't drink to excess. That's a risk factor for strokes. You uh, a, a healthier diet, one a balanced diet, plenty of uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, leaner meats. That is an important, um, more and more a plant-based diet is really what a lot of medical people will tell you to mm -hmm. lean towards. I'm not willing to give up my proteins, but I will, I will stick with lean proteins a lot of the time. Um, exercise, regular cardiovascular exercise is important physical activity every day. Uh, it's good for your heart. It's good for your brain. It's good for your body. It's good for your lungs. It's good for your sleep. It's good for your mood. It's good for your uh, cognition. Uh, all that stuff. Um, also, if you see a doctor regularly so you can be diagnosed and managed for conditions like diabetes, which is a risk factor for stroke, high blood pressure, high blood pressure, which is a risk factor for stroke, and something called atrial fibrillation, which is when your heart beats abnormally, the top part of your heart, the atrium kind of flutters or fibrillates. I shouldn't say flutter. That's a whole other thing. Fibrillates, it kind of quivers. That's a good word. Um, and it can you can get blood clots forming there. Because it sort of quivers and the blood clots and just kind of hangs out. And those little clots can shoot up to your brain and cause strokes. So if you're having chest pain or palpitations where you feel your heart pounding and fluttering and it feels weird and you don't know why, anything like that, go get checked out. Perfect. Um, if you have a history of that, tell your doctor. These are all things that you can have managed to avoid the outcome of a stroke, um, hopefully. And again, um uh, Women, it is Women's History Month, so I'd like to mention this. Women have a higher rate of stroke mm. because of some extra risk factors that that, uh, that can occur. People who can become pregnant, people who take hormone replacement therapy, people who take oral contraceptives, um, and people who have migraines with aura. All of these things are extra risk factors for stroke. And stroke kills twice as many women as breast cancer each year. Oh my God. And I think it's important to, to say something like that because I think we all are a little more aware and like cognizant if we are people who are at risk for breast cancer that we need certain screening and testing and like that's that's kind of in our minds. But stroke isn't always necessarily there in that at that same level. But mm -hmm. these are things that you can be preventing, you can have managed, you can do things to help avoid a stroke in many, not all, but many cases. So do those things, get to your doctor, know the signs and symptoms. And if you see them occurring, get somebody help as fast as possible and know that time. So you can tell that EMT, ER doctor, emergency room nurse, whoever you talk to what that time is. Well, take uh, care of yourselves, take care of yourselves folks and take care of each other. Um, thank you so much for listening to our program. Thanks to the taxpayers. For the use of our song, Medicines, their song, I guess you could even say. 
Yeah, uh, it's not our song. It's, it's not our song. song. It's their song. Uh, we, but it's called Medicines, it. <laughs> and we use it as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to Maximum Fun Network for having us on. Uh, Max Fun Drive, just around the corner. Get there. It's going to be fun. And um, that's going to do it for us for this week. So uh, until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.